Hello, and welcome to a Joyful Pause podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen today. My guest this morning is Althea Danzi. And I want to start off by saying Althea Danzi is my stepmom. So I know her really well. And um, I'm hoping that just like I would come over on a Sunday and sit on the couch and have a chat, this is just you and I having a chat, but there might be a couple of people listening. So how are you today, Althea? I'm good. How are you doing? How's everything going? I'm pretty good. Can't complain right now in this very moment. <laughs> let me read your bio so people <laughs> let me read your bio so people know um, a little bit more about you, okay? Althea okay. Danzi, okay, great. Althea Danzi is the founder of A Danzi Consulting Services, which specializes in the development of pricing and contract strategies for pharmaceutical manufacturers inline and or pipeline products to optimize patient access and market performance. She is also the president of Eface House and a certified caregiving consultant. Eface House is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and empowering caregivers and is grounded in six essential pillars, compassion, love, care, spirit, hope, and faith. Althea is a contributing writer for the magazine Strength and Grace, a daily devotional magazine for caregivers published by Guidepost. Lastly, Althea is an alumni of the InterVisions Institute for Spiritual Development, which was founded by Ianla Van Zandt. She is a graduate of InterVisions Personal Development Program and received her certification as a spiritual life coach in 2014. Bam, thank you so much for, um, for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's get right to it. Um, we're in a moment right now where America is, or more Americans are kind of facing into and beginning to acknowledge this country's history of system, uh, systemic racism and police brutality. And part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast was that I was noticing um, it can be challenging sometimes to bring your spiritual practice to these hard questions, such as what is mine to do in this moment? And so as you think about everything that's happening in the world, what America is facing and what, um, and what the moment calls for, how does your spiritual worldview help you to make sense and help you to make meaning out of what's going on? Um, so when I, when I think about everything that's happening, I guess my, my spiritual worldview of what's occurring right now is that it's an opportunity for all of us to take a step back and to look at where we are in our lives, right? So before, you know, this, the whole process with George Floyd and, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, you know, the focus was on COVID-19 and that forced everyone to, to get still in my mind, to shelter in place, to quarantine. And so all of the external outside, outside forces were no longer available. So when I think about this time in dealing with um, the issue of racism, it's my feeling that it's 
coming up at a time when everyone has gotten a little bit still. And I think that's why the movement is so strong, um, because you didn't have the outside forces to deal with, right? You only had the opportunity to deal with yourself. So I think that by unfortunately having COVID and being sheltered in place, people were forced to deal with the reality of their situations. Um, I think it helped to mobilize individuals to be able to speak out and galvanize individuals. And I think it provided an opportunity for people to take a step back and look at what was happening in their lives and how they could see this in a different manner. So I, I guess in, in summary to your question, when you're looking at the spiritual world and its impact, I think we're just in a time of being more present with ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. This idea that with distractions being limited because COVID forced this giant pause, that people yeah. were able to be more present with what's happening in them and in the world. And through that, they're realizing, hey, wait a minute, um, this cannot this cannot stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just to add, also from the standpoint of, you know, my spiritual world um, and what that kind of looks like, for me, um, it's about learning how to get still myself. Um, and my spiritual world consists of different views. So my spiritual world can consist of, you know, listening to T.D. Jakes more so from like a Christian standpoint to listening to gospel music, to taking a walk. Um, so there's different ways in which I attempt to connect into that spiritual world. Yeah. I love that. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because I know that you pull from a number of different spiritual traditions and that, and, and I see you as someone who doesn't kind of put their practice on a shelf. Like it's in your daily from your walks um, with Kojak and what you notice Kojak is the family dog. Um <laughs> from your walks with Kojak and what you notice when you're on those walks to texting on the family chain, some TD Jakes video that you really liked. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that about you, that you can pull from, from a number of different traditions. And mm -hmm. I also think your perspective on COVID, um, it's interesting to me that you didn't kind of like phrase it as COVID is this horrible thing, but it's that it's an opportunity for a pause. I think that's interesting and how that opportunity for a pause then creates an opening for people to be more honest about what's kind of been in our faces all along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that it, COVID, it didn't discriminate, right? And it wasn't just specific to the United States, it affected all countries. And now that this movement is happening uh, with Black Lives Matter, 
it's impacting other countries. You see on the news other countries that are also, you know, rallying together and speaking out against it. So I don't think it's just specific to the United States. Um, and I think that because people are more open at this stage and I guess want to say more vulnerable, it's provide an opportunity for people just to be more honest about where, where they are and where society is. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. So when you are, um, you know, as a black woman, um, who's partnered with a black man, like this shit hits home (laughs) 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 to be really, (laughs) to be just a hundred percent blunt. Like, you know, it's not like a thought exercise for us. It's like, you know, and even though my dad has, has been in law enforcement his whole career, um, it still hits home that someone who has a badge thinks they can do whatever they want, you know? And so I'm bringing that up just to say, for me, it's been very stirring and it's stirred up a lot of fear for Mm -hmm. when Ambrose goes and he's just out in the world. I notice an increase of fear about whether or not he's safe. And so that makes me both want to take action, but also it puts me deeper, makes me turn toward my practice more to manage that fear. So I'm wondering for you, how is your spiritual practice supporting you with all of the different emotions that arise during this, um, during this change that we're in? Hmm. Well, so there's a couple of things that you said that I think I want to address, right? You talked about your dad and, you know, how this situation, because he's a black man, has impacted you. You know, that's true for me, um, being in a relationship with your dad, but then also from the standpoint of my son, Yashua, Mm -hmm. you know, from the standpoint of my brother um, and my nephew, um, my nephew being, uh, Tyrell's like 22. So Mm -hmm. being young and being in this process and not being as aware um, of the situations and how to possibly address the situation in, in a certain manner. You know, I worry less about your dad and my brother because they have been in law enforcement on some level for a number of years. So they are clear about what's out there and they're clear about how to respond. I'm more worried, I would say, about, you know, my nephew and about my son, Yashua. Mm-hmm. and what their response would be. So, you know, when this all began, um, the feelings that came up for me was you always have the fear, you know, um, when you raise a, a black child um, that exists and it's always present. Um, you know, with Yashua, it was telling him, I remember when he first got his driver's license, okay, and, you know, your dad had conversations with him, you know, if you get stopped, do this, if this happens, do this, you know, make sure you're following the speed limit. So there's always these, like, precautions that you take as a parent to tell your child uh, about what to deal with. And it doesn't just 
start there with a driver's license. It also starts with their interactions in school and on team sports, you know, um, and that's more of the systemic part of the racism of just being there for them and being honest with them and being able to communicate with them and have conversations about their experiences. So that that kind of fear, that um, worry is always kind of present as a parent. Um, And (laughs) I guess I would say that it it just becomes, it's just part of the the package of being a parent is, is how I view it. It's also sad because I don't know that from the standpoint of um, white families, if they experience the same type of worry, the same type of concern. And and my thought is that they don't. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that they have to tell their children what things they need to consider, how they need to be, what to be, you know, wary of, you know. I don't think any of that happens um, from their perspective. So that angers me. You know, when this all started to come out again, you know, that angers me that my conversation with my son has to be different, with my nephew has to be different, with my niece has to be different. Um, It also was angering to me when I think about, from the standpoint of my experience of being in the corporate world for a number of years and then being reminded of the times in which you're sitting in, well, one, you're the only black female that's sitting yep. in, <laughs> sitting in the meeting, you know, yep. um, and you're, you have the knowledge, you have the experience, you have the degrees, but you're the only black female that's sitting there. And having this, um, creating this, this, this presence, this, um, and sometimes it, you know, I want to call it a mask of how you present and having to, I've had to feel like be neutral in, in my responses because I have felt like at different points in times I was being graded differently, not just mm-hmm. because I was black, but also because I was a woman. Um, and so, you know, it reminded me of those instances of sitting in meetings and um, having the experience, having the knowledge, having the answer, and questions from VPs being directed to, to my boss and not to me, <laughs> who had done all the work. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it angers me. Um, mm-hmm. There's that worry that exists um, that's present. Um, when the thing happened with George Floyd, I think it hit a nerve in everyone just because of the lack of humanity mm-hmm. that you saw in the video. Um, and I think that's also key to why so many individuals have been galvanized. It's just actual humanity. And you could see on the officer's face that there was no connection, no feeling, no compassion that was present when he was doing this. So I think that hit a nerve for me, you know, as it relates to my spiritual practice and how I've learned to incorporate that. You know, one of the things I started hearing, you know, 
for me, I hear this voice from spirit, you know, um, mm-hmm. that kind of guides me. And the voice I kept hearing was paint, 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 you know. And mm-hmm. so when this happened um, with George Floyd, you know, I was like, okay, you, you need to stop ignoring that and <laughs> do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and went to Michael's, ordered everything, because, you know, everything is curbside now. So mm-hmm. ordered a bunch of stuff from Michael's, ordered the paints from, from Amazon, and just took a day when I felt like I was just completely overwhelmed and just, you know, started throwing some paint on the canvas. Now, I can't say that I've ever felt creative as it relates to painting. It was just about the process of putting out the emotion that was there and the anger that was there. Um, So finding outlets, um, for me, is the way that I kind of deal with this situation. It may be painting. It may be listening to music. You know, I connect to spirit through music. Um, You know, it's maybe just simply kind of taking a breath, you know, or reading something that grounds me and, and takes me out of the space of the noise that you can hear from the media and um, which is constant at times. So removing myself from the chatter is, is I think, what I do best. I like the, um, the spaciousness of choosing how that spirit comes through, whether it's listening to that voice that told you to paint and then letting that come through or um, being able to listen to music. I like that it's not like a, and here's the one thing that I ever do. You know, I appreciate that you have a number of different ways to get into that spiritual energy and to let it, let yourself connect with it and let it express through you. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel you. Oh, from, God. I think that came from, you know, um, when I was at Intervisions, you know, what we learned was, or what I learned was, you have to make your spiritual practice personal. Mm-hmm. And so unless it's personal, you know, it's it's not about religion. It's about the connection. It's about the relationship to spirit, whether you call it spirit, God, universe you know, um, Jesus, whatever you call um, that that connection to life. It's about having that be personal for you. Yeah, that's making me smile. Yeah, that's, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Like the ability to make it personal and then do that thing without having to necessarily say, ascribe any sort of label to it. Um it just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to give yourself. You know, sometimes I think labels actually keep people from having a spiritual practice because they think it, they have to identify as this religion or that religion rather than what you're saying and what I believe to be true, which is your spiritual practice is whatever you do to touch that energy and that looks different for different people and that can be different for the same person might be a number of different ways that they access that but as long as you're Mm -hmm. accessing it 
that feels really important to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. As I understand racism from reading, it's a bunch of people decided that whiteness meant power. And then since they decided that, the repercussions of that decision have been implicit in every system that's been created since then. Mm -hmm. So you can understand that from a historic point of view, but how do you understand racism from a spiritual point of view? What is the disconnect that's happening when we see that both at our individual level and at our systemic level? Hmm. Well, I think from, you know, from a spiritual perspective of understanding uh, racism, for me, it's looking at the individual, right? So the history, the past, we can't change. But what we can change is where we are today and how we want to influence how we move forward. Um, you know, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to kind of, even having said that, it's difficult grappling with the history and then understanding, well, I need to be present with what's now happening and not be connected to my past. And I think that's, that's an individual challenge either way in life for each each one of us. You know, it's like moving from the way or the dysfunction that may have existed in in your childhood to being present to what's happening right now in your life. It's, it's a constant challenge and there's constant lessons that we're faced with. So I think that, you know, um, for me, from the spiritual perspective, I, in my mind, part of me has to remove the history that's associated, don't forget about it, but kind of remove the history of what's associated from my mind and focus on where I am right now and what can I do to kind of influence that change so that it doesn't happen moving forward. I mean, I've had um, white friends, you know, reach out and say, well, what can I do? differently. And, you know, what I've said to them, it's, <laughs> well, there's two reactions. One is like, why are you asking me? Um, so there's the testosterone you know, associated with that. And then there's also, okay, well, they don't know. So from a spiritual perspective, you can't change something that you don't know. And they are at least at a minimum taking the initiative to try to find out. So meet them halfway. Um, and so what I've tried to say to them is, is that, you know, you live your life in accordance with how you would expect to be treated. If you see something, and I don't think that we're asking for as black people anything different but to be treated as you would treat another, you know. Mm -hmm. So put yourself in that position and how would you treat that individual? How would you treat expect your son to be treated? How would you expect your daughter to be treated? And if it's unfair, it's unfair. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you look at it from that simple perspective, I'm able to, to manage it 
better for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I also think that the disconnect spiritually is, you know, every human won the lottery. If you think about <laughs> the, if you think about, I mean, even from the fact of like conception, you know, you won the lottery. You were the, you were the one that made it into the egg. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then <laughs> you made it all the way through the process of gestation, you know, and then mm-hmm. you, if, and then if you make it more cosmic, you received a human birth out of all of the species that you could incarnate into. So you've mm-hmm. won the lottery like so many different ways by the time you're like sitting there as a baby. And that's for yeah. each of us, yeah. whether we're born into whatever we're born into, we've already won in that way. I really believe that to be true. And then what we're born into mm-hmm. is definitely going to shape our experience. But if we can connect to understanding that every other human being that you see won the lottery just like you did and therefore is equal to each other. I feel like that sounds like a wish, but I, I also believe that if we intentionally could begin to believe that and live that we would be able to change this thing. Yeah, I I agree. I think, in, you know, what you were saying, the challenge there is right there is also that in balancing this that we're talking about is there's the spiritual perspective and then there's your day-to-day human experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, having that exist in your mind, you know, that we each won the lottery helps you in the process of the human experience, right? But I think that each individual gets to have gets a choice you have a choice on um how you want your human experience to be to look like um and how you want to show up and so in the process of making those choices there's some responsibilities that are associated with that you know and you know you let me speak for myself i'm constantly learning you know that with my choices, there's different responsibilities that I need to begin to take or adjust or shift. So, you know, I think it comes down to individuals taking responsibility for the choices and the decisions that they've made. So I think that's what this movement is asking also, mm-hmm. is, is that people begin to hold individuals accountable you know, based on their actions. Yeah. Um, And if you hold people accountable, then you can learn that there is a consequence to that choice or that decision. And then hopefully that will guide some of the changes that need to to occur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I like that piece about accountability for sure. We need that. Mm -hmm. So we turn the spiritual lens toward racism to see what that how to understand it through that perspective how do you understand equity through that perspective hmm. 
Well, I think that it's similar to what you just said, right? That we all come here um, and we have the opportunity. We're a blank slate, basically. You know, well, there's some <laughs> things that I believe that we just kind of marinate in um, when we come into this life and we have a, a purpose. But, mm-hmm. you know, in that process, you are no different. You know, a baby when it's born is no different than the baby that's in the in the crib that's next to it. Um, and so I think that you start to create the equity by understanding that there's no difference between our individual experiences are different, right? How we um, interact is different. That's what makes us special. You know, that that's what makes us unique. But I think that there's a common thread that exists that we have to remember. Um, and I don't know why I keep, what keeps coming up for me is just the humanity piece of it. You know, how do you create equity during this time? Well, what's required for one should be the same thing that's required for another. If I want to, and and, and that's about one, people acknowledging first that there is this inequity that exists, Mm -hmm. um, and then identifying ways to make it more of a level playing field. Yeah. And did I that, did that answer I, your question? Yeah, it did. Okay. But I want to build on something too that you said. I felt like there is this acknowledgement that at our core humanity is what we share. Um, but then there's also, you know, nature creates purposefully. I believe that to be true. So the diversity that we see is for us, like it's to be celebrated just as much as our humanity, right? Like neither of us is saying this kind of all lives matter thing where it's like, no, or colorblind thing where it's like, no, let's pretend, let's just go right to we're all one. I don't think either of us is saying that. I think we're saying you can hold both your, the beauty of the diversity that we see across this world and the oneness of humanity. And you can hold both of that without having to deny one or the other, or use either of those to just ignore the inequity that we're seeing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I mean, I don't need to put someone else down um, because of their diversity or their uniqueness um, because, or because they're different from me. I just need to simply acknowledge that they are a person. Yeah. I mean, when you say it like that, I'm like, God, it makes me, then I got a little more pissed off because there's a part of me that's like, (laughs) literally all we're asking for is just to be treated as equal humans. Like, I cannot believe that there needs to be a million campaigns and people in the streets and all of this energy in order to get to something that seems so obvious, but that's just the way the system has been set up from the beginning. And so... We have to change that together. Yeah, yeah, and so and you have years and years of this going on, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know that it's going to. I mean, the the wish is that it, everything could change and everyone would see 
um, everyone is one and kumbaya and I don't think that that's human nature. I don't think that that's realistic, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there is this movement right now that's happening, and I think that it will create a certain level of change. Um, But I think that people will continue to be who they are, Mm -hmm. you know? And then hopefully in another, I don't know, 10 years, there's another movement, and that'll bring about some change or additional awareness. But people are going to continue to be who they are. Um, based on their own individual experiences and the information and their education and their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So that brings me to the question about people are going to be who they are, and yet we know there are practices that we can do that support us embodying the best of our nature, right? We have all different kinds of energies in us and all different kinds of impulses. But for me, meditation is a practice that I use so that as I'm making the millions of choices that I make in one day, more often than not, I hope to be choosing the choice that doesn't create harm, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are the practices? I mean, we've talked about them a little bit, but I wonder if you would elaborate more on what are the practices that you use to create a positive um, clear frame of mind as you move through the world? Um, so, uh, you know, we touched on um, the fact that I tap into different areas, religions, I don't know what you want to call it. So, you know, one of the things that we typically do here at home is that, you know, each night we will listen to the news. It's become like our, our process before it was the Wheel of Fortune that I always looked at every night. <laughs> now, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> we moved changed. away from the, from the Wheel of Fortune to, you know, each night after the news, we come down and then we'll listen to something that, that T.D. Jakes has to say. Um, so that's part of our, our process. So he usually has something that he, he does his Sunday service and then he has his Wednesday night service or we'll find something old that's out there and we'll listen to that and that puts us in in a certain space Mm -hmm. and it relieves some of it for me it relieves some of the tension of the news of all the changes that are happening and all the struggles and you know the Trump stuff and all of that that's going on you know, the other thing that I try to do in the morning is I wake up in the morning and I'll do like a simple prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you, God, for waking me up this morning and acknowledging, well, I got a bed to sleep in. You know, I got air conditioning, whatever that may be, um, and just expressing gratitude. It can also, for me, come in the form of um, taking time during the middle of the day to somehow take care of myself. So that may mean getting in a tub and, you know, reading something, um, a spiritual book, Course in Miracles, something from Paul Farini. Uh, or it could, it could just completely mean, like, completely, like, vegging out on a mystery novel. You know, and you touch on some of these things in, in your book, The Joyful Pause, right? Mm-hmm. So doing those things to kind of fill you up each day, and you touched on it talking about the meditation, Um, since I started doing the painting, you know, if I hear something, feel something, acknowledging the feeling, and then going and just kind of painting, 
um, looking at the YouTube videos and saying, oh, I can do this. How do I do this? You know, and just Mm -hmm. putting some stuff, paint on the canvas and not thinking about what colors to choose. It's just picking them up as, as I'm connected to the process and just expressing it. Um, music is another big thing for me. Um, listening to music at night before I go to bed or listening to the chorus at night before I go to bed. So I try to incorporate different things based on where I am in that moment um, and for that day. And I can't say that there are days that, you know, none of that happens. And then there's days where it happens throughout the day. But what I've noticed is that if I start my day off right, then my day typically follows a certain pattern or a certain beat. And I'm in touch with myself. Um, If I don't start my day off in a way that gets me in a certain mindset, then that pattern and that beat is off or I'm not as grounded or intuitive to what it is that I'm feeling and what's going on for me. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Both the little points in the day throughout and then also seeding the beginning of the day so you can notice when you become disconnected from that that sense of resting in yourself, resting in source. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, I think overall it's just finding that thing that works for you. You know, um it could be oils. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be um tarot cards, mm-hmm. you know, it could be stones, it could, you know, um, or gems and, and, and crystals. Um, it could be cleaning the air around your body. I mean, there was this thing that we learned in, in intervisions that we do to kind of clear the energy of the air. So it could be those things too. But mm-hmm. it's finding what fits well for you and what feels right for you. Awesome. You know, it's all about representing and experiencing what it is that spirit represents for you. So spirit can it's life, it's joy, it's happiness, it's sadness, it's it's you know, it's all of those things. It's love, it's whatever that feels right for you. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so I guess toward the end of our time together, um, dream with me a little bit about our collective liberation, what does that look like to you? Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) The first thing that came to mind for me was the image of being in the corporate world and sitting in a meeting and not just being the only black woman that's sitting there. Um, You know, Yes, I'm snapping to that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not only the black person, let me say it that way, that's sitting Mm -hmm. there, being able to um, experience in that process, being looked at not because of, you know, my ethnicity or my gender, but based on my knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, The ability for going back to when we kind of started this this, this conversation of, you know, uh, Yashua or Tyrell when they have kids, um, 
being able to see those kids, their sons, be able to have a different experience. Um, maybe not having to give them that talk, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that that you do. Um, understanding that, okay, you're, you're teaching them how to drive and you're teaching them the same safety precautions, but you're not having this talk with them um, about what's required so that you can alleviate some of the fear and the worry and also ensure they are safe. Um, I would say, you know, black people having more of a role in the economy, um, the growth of black businesses, having more of a stake in in the economy and the influence that we have. I mean, we have such huge purchasing um, power mm-hmm. that we could tap into. Um, and having more of a voice and having more of a share. I think that's what collective liberation looks like. And also changing the mindset. You know, so it's not just changing our mindset and taking responsibility, but others taking responsibility for their roles and their actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Thank you. You're welcome. You are welcome. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And I appreciate um, the listeners for taking the time to listen in on our conversation and maybe um, have their own thoughts about what we were saying. Um, As always, I welcome questions and feedback. If you want to contact us, you can email me at info at ajoyfulpause.com. If you want some examples of some of the things that we spoke about today in terms of uh, being able to speed your day with moments of getting in touch with your own heart and getting in touch with that energy that permeates all things, you can look up my book, A Joyful Pause, 52 Ways to Love Life. Um, If you want to learn more about um, how to support Althea's nonprofit, Ife's House, um, you can also email me at info at ajoyfulpause.com, and I'll pass that information along to her. So thanks again, Althea. Thank you. This was fun. Oh, good. (laughs) Glad you had fun. Yeah, thank you. All right. Be well, everyone.